We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields. If you lay down with dogs, you get fleas. Fraud, sham, and hypocrisy. Change within the system. The hollow man of anger and bitterness all must be left to a bygone age. I understand victory. I understand sacrifice. Speak over. I may not get there with you. That we as a people will get to the promised land. Tony Wilson. Hello and Happy New Year. This is Tony Wilson and it's another bonus episode of the Speak Ola podcast. Not the regular format, no special guest or feature speech. Instead, I thought I'd put up a chat I had on the Triple R show, The Grapevine, hosted by Kalia Coulson and Dylan Bird. And for the last couple of years, I've been on as the final guest of the year on that show, and we have a red carpet event known as The Speakolies, where Speakola and me award Best Speech of the Year awards. And really, it's just a lot of fun. And the amount of thought that goes into who should win a speak Ollie is possibly not exhausting. And so when you listen to this, you might say, what? How could that have beaten this? And the answer is that I would have searched 2021 in my speak Ollie search engine, the search function on the site, had a look at the speeches I put up, and then just basically allocated an award to the ones I like the best. But there are some great ones I haven't put up, and so they might not have won an award where they should have. So this is a great opportunity for you, the Speakola listener, to contact me, the Speakola overlord, and say, hey, you're wrong. You need to put this up. This is better. And I will, and I will also be carried by your brilliant argument. But here it is. This is the chat with Kalia and Dylan on The Grapevine. I think it was on the 13th of December. And thank you very much, Triple R, my old employer. I did six years on Triple R as a break faster. But thank you to Triple R for letting me put up the audio. You are on The Grapevine with Kalia and Dylan taking you through until midday for our very last show of the year. And it has become a bit of a tradition on our last show to host the annual Speak Holy Awards for the best speeches over the past 12 months. It's been a pretty eventful year with the pandemic, of course, the Olympics, a new US president and uh, rampant allegations of sexual misconduct in Australia's parliament as well, to name just a few topics. To announce the winners of these most coveted awards, we're joined by the man behind the Speak Holder website and podcast, Tony Wilson. Hey, Tony, great to have you back. Thank you very much, Dylan, for having me. And, and it's, it's nice that you've called them very coveted because I know <laughs> we started doing them at a time where they really weren't very coveted at all because we invented them, right? Mm. Yeah. And so now do you present them in many different places, uh, Tony? Or? <laughs> <laughs> well, do you know, I had 
Um, we don't have exclusive who, rights or anything. <laughs> no, I, I do sometimes pop up on the ABC and say what the speeches are, but I don't call them the speak oldies. Uh-huh. We don't have a we don't have a red carpet like we do at Triple R for everyone coming down. Yeah, we're all on our best thongs today to present yeah. these awards. <laughs> Absolutely, and I spoke to Stan Grant this year and told him that he won a 2015 speak ollie. Wow! And he told me how honoured he felt about that because how much he loves public speaking. I think he was possibly just humouring me. But he can put her in his resume. Anyway. <laughs> He's a, su- he's a super he's a super duper speaker. I mean, he's yeah. he's really mastered oratory. It, it's just it, it comes from the heart with with Stan Grant, and I just think the art of public speaking is something I I certainly value. And I, I think you know who's not here. We don't have so many of our political leaders on this list that were you know on in the categories that we're about to present because we don't always get great speeches, do we? I don't know if they aim for it. I think that there's this sense that if you go and, and do something that's highfalutin, you know, you'll lose the, the, the middle Australia. That They'll think, oh, he's trying to be all smart and, and wordy. And, you know, so it's this sort of thing that we've valued the sort of doorstop connection or the photo stunt above the idea of communicating the idea as, as beautifully and as concisely and as, you know, memorably as possible. So, yeah. I mean, I think Americans do it a bit better because it's still valued there a little bit and maybe even the Brits, but here it's just a, a bloke off at the moment. Yeah. It's a, bit, it's a bit disappointing. And, I mean, you've been collating speeches for, for quite a few ne- years now. Has 2021 been a, a particularly big year for, for speeches? Well, there's always good ones. So the good thing about Speakola is I feel like, you know, and people are great at suggesting them as well. Um, and, you know, that there's, there's always good speeches coming in. And so, you know, 20, 2021 is, is a quite a historic year, I think. Like we'll think of it as a, as, a, as a pretty amazing period. Certainly in my lifetime, it stands out as kind of a very newsy and a very uh, significant year. Um, hoping that a pandemic's about as bad as it gets, you know, but you know it's, it feels a bit world warish, if you know what I mean, you know. And, and great speeches do tend to happen a bit in times of difficulty. And so I, I'll run through a couple of the categories that we're going to be awarding over the next sort of half hour or so: sports speech of the year, issue speech of the year, most historic, um, best young speaker, I like that one, um, entertainer speech of the year. Uh, Overseas political speech of the year, uh, Australian political speech of the year, and um, if we get to it, um, uh, pandemic speech. And yeah, so there's there's worthy recipients for all of them. Was it hard to choose? Oh, uh, it was, and, and in some respects, as soon as I say them, listeners will be able to say, "What you didn't even put in that Olympic speech, you know?" Or um, the pandemic speech was definitely not that. You know, there is a sense that I'm putting in the ones that have come to me and that I've found and. You know, I've lived my lockdown year and I, I haven't been as um, – I'm not reading the news on Triple R anymore, so, you know, you don't sort of have that constant connection. How do everything. you deal with that pressure, Tony, when there's people out there <laughs> unhappy about the, the, the Speak Holly Awards? Oh, well, that's right. They can just um, – well, I'd love them to contact me because it would mean I could um, – introduce them to the the great vortex that is Spigola. You know, I did have, I I did put a call out right at the beginning of the show that if anyone can sort of guess or what would you choose and that sort of thing. And I did 
get a text where they pretty much nailed a couple of them. So I think you're on the money with some, at least some of uh, our well, listeners. That's... You might have, you know, met some expectations. But let's see. So sports speech of the year. Who does this one go to? So I, I mainly went to the Olympics. I was thinking that surely it should be an Olympic speech. And, and actually there was a brilliant speech given by Dylan Alcott when he won the Golden Slam. He, he won the wheelchair tennis and and that added to his the, the four grand slams that he'd won. And, you know, so that was a, a great speech. I think Dylan Alcott might have won a speak early in the past, to be honest. But I thought this time, I really got... <laughs> if you listen to the audio on Speakola of this speech, you can hear me sobbing in the background. So it's film, me filming the television going... <laughs> and someone said, there's some sick person with COVID deep breathing over that video. You need to change it. And it's me. Just raw emotion. Um, but, but fortunately, Dylan, we've dug up a, a, an alternative mm. um, audio. Should I play it? Andrew, Andrew oh, Gaze yeah. on the show, Shinya which was the it was meant to be the light-hearted front bar of the Olympics sort of show that he did with Andy Marr. And for me to see Andrew Gaze in the minutes after the Boomers won that bronze medal, it was just it was phenomenal. And, and he connected with his emotions, which is kind of, which is what you were talking about. And he, and he had an ability, I think, to talk about the history of the sport and the importance of the moment and to do it. Uh, off the off the top of his head, it was it was a beauty. Yeah, let's hear a bit of it. And 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 the beautiful journeys. You mm. don't have to win a medal to have a beautiful journey. And it's about what we want to stand for in representing Australia mm. and representing this sport. And I think of those that have been along for the journey that have their DNA on this. Yep. You know, there's so many that you look back on that toiled. When you don't get a cent for playing the game, <laughs> when you're building stadiums, you're building a sport, you're trying to generate it. And uh, for me, I am so grateful that, and it is tough, but I'm incredibly grateful that, that I, before the game, I, I called up my dad. Yep, I want to know that. And just yep. to hear him talk about what this means to, to the sport and the humility and nothing to do with him just about uh, how it, this is going to be good for Australia and Australian basketball and another tangible bit of evidence to say that we have arrived as a sport, both our men and women. And he started when there was 200 registered players. <laughs> and he taught away as a coach and an administrator to build facilities, propagate the game, take it to the people. And the whole way, it was about the Olympics. The values of the Olympics, the spirit of competition, were instilled in me at a very early age. And it's all about getting on that podium and showing the friendship and love and making sure that you do the right thing by the game and the nation and the pride that comes in pulling on a green and gold jersey. Tonight, we saw 11 athletes, a beautiful man in Brian Gorgian, uh, John Rilly and Matty Nielsen, who's pulled on a green and gold jersey to play get a reward that has been come from the generations of work beforehand. And for those people, the Phil Smyce, the Ian Davies, the Eddie Palabinskis, the Larry Senstock, the Danny Morsus, yes. Keith Miller, the coach back in 1960, <laughs> Ken Watson, who coached in 56. Yep. For all that they have done for the game that culminates in this reward here tonight is spectacular.
What's extra joyful about that to, to me is Andy Marr kind of laughing along <laughs> as yeah. he, he just pours his heart out. Uh, what what was it about that that really got under your skin, Tony? Oh, I just thought, first of all, that sobbing. So he was crying and so that made me cry. But, but there was also the he, – he starts off it's slightly off. We didn't have that little bit of audio, but he starts off by saying, I'm not sure, you know, I, I'm, I feel a part of it. And he, tried, and he mm. says, it actually makes me cry now when he says it. But, you know, he says, I actually – it might be wrong, but I feel a part of this. You think, oh, Andrew Gaze, of course you're a part of it, and um, and so it had humility, and then he and then he gets into the the you know the, the what they've achieved, and then he gets into the you know, what the Olympics means to him and his dad. That that idea of the father who is the father of basketball, you know, that's that's a particular, it's a specific thing that Andrew Gaze has when he when he's speaking about Lindsay Gaze um, being you know being so important to mm. basketball in Australia, and then his thank yous are. You know, it's, you can do. You can make thank you so boring, but but um, he rattles off the names and, and provides a mention for the '56 coach and the '1960 coach. You know, it is a real feeling that the whole of the of basketball history and community is in that very short couple of minutes. Yeah, and I mean, look, another person who connected with just so many people in many speeches this year. It has to be said. Um, is the winner of the issues speech of the year. Um, who's that, Tony? So, so this one I was torn between two of her offerings. So her name is Grace Tame, and I think she's – this is the Australian of the Year role has been incredible. You know, sometimes we have very vocal Australians of the Year, and you know, I think back to, to Adam Goods and, and the way that he was sort of destroyed, I guess, by the media for being an outspoken Australian of the Year doing that advocacy role and grace tames along that same line that she seems to be oblivious to the slings and arrows and and she just keeps going um and there's been a few of hers that are just outstanding she's got every natural characteristic of a Mm. great speaker you know she's able to find the right words she can puts in story at the right time she foreshadows what her points are going to be she punches it out with passion and eye contact and everything about her is just first class um, but the, and that started with her Australian of the Year acceptance, and I, was, I thought I'd go with that. But then I watched again this press club one. There was a speech at the National Press Club, and it's it's a half hour speech, and it's it's very grueling to watch. It's 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 a it's a really um, upsetting story, her story really of of how she became an activist in this space and it is of course and everyone knows it, it's, it's the story of being groomed as a 15 year old and and the uh the sexual assault and rape that was committed on her but, but the the speech in itself is is almost structured as a as a how-to so she sort of says this is what they do this is what groomers do and i'm going to give the example of this particular 58 year old and and how he set me against my parents and then how they he played this music and how you know he deceived me here and with threats of you know what would happen if i revealed this to anyone and you know like it's a it's a step by step of of the sort of ways that groomers operate and uh you're quite quite uh disconcerting um amazingly delivered she's uh, got the the room is sobbing along with her and uh yeah play a little bit of that one yeah and 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 just to say um for people because it is an incredible speech very upsetting speech we've actually pulled out the bit that is a call to action um for for the rest of us it's not that story which we can't do justify justice in in a minute anyway but this is a call to action from grace team evil will continue to develop 
We need to warn our children, age appropriately, of the signs and characteristic behaviours, whilst educating how to report it should it happen to them or to those around them. This is a serious enough topic, unfortunately too common in occurrence for us to hope that kids know this. So I challenge our education system to look for ways to more formally educate our children. I've just got to skip forward a bit, sorry In Australia, that. we have eight state and territory jurisdictions and eight different definitions of consent. We need to agree on something as absolute as what consent is. We need a uniform state and federal national standard and definition of consent. Only then can we effectively teach this fundamentally important principle consistently around Australia. Since I was announced as Australian of the Year just over a month ago, hundreds of fellow child sexual abuse survivors have reached out to me to tell their stories, to cry with me. Stories they thought they would take with them to the grave out of shame for being subjected to something that was not their fault. Stories of a kind of suffering they had previously never been able to explain. Stories of grooming. I am one of the luckiest ones who survived, who was believed, who was surrounded by love. And what this shows me is that despite this problem still existing, and despite a personal history of trauma that is still ongoing, it is possible to heal, to thrive, and live a wonderful life. It is my mission and my duty as a survivor and as a survivor with a voice to continue working towards eradicating child sexual abuse. I won't stop until it does. And so... Extraordinary speech, and I should um, give the 1800 respect line as well if this um, is triggering for anyone out there. It is, yeah, 1800 respect, and, and the lifeline number 131114. As you say, Tony, just one of a number of incredible speeches that, that Grace Tame has given um, during her stint as Australian of the Year. Oh, she's been amazing, and yeah, just to hear the fluency and the strength she has in the delivery, and um, I, I, I think she'll have a big career i don't know what she'll do next she just launched a foundation grace team foundation so we're going to hear from grace team mm. oh, excellent um i thought well in the issues that that's an australian based one you can either call this runner up or you could call it the international issues speech of the year because I, I guess the 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 biggest if, you, if it wasn't the olympics the other big thing internationally this year was perhaps much more important it was uh, cop 26 and the climate change summit um, in Glasgow, and there was a lot of um, hoo-ha here about you know Australia and and how little our participation was going to be, and when when it happened, it was a somewhat embarrassing participation, and there was quite a, a there was a video of you know no one in the room as Scott Morrison was speaking, and um, you know I, so I guess that that sort of captured our attention a little bit, but one that got sent to me, I don't know whether. It's only me as a speech collector who saw this one, but there was a, a speech by the Prime Minister of Barbados, uh, Mia Motley, and she gave a speech. I thought it was incredible in the sense that she managed to do the whole come on, you know, the, the, the rallying of the troops. This has to happen. It has to happen now. We need, we need better leadership. But she did it whilst also imparting information. So she was able to say where we're failing, by what number, um, what that will mean. And she was able to give, I thought, a really concise two-and-a-half-minute 
um, sense of of what the real issues at the conference were and 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 where the failure was. Um, so you play a little bit of that one. The pandemic has taught us that national solutions to global problems do not work. We come to Glasgow with global ambition to save our people and to save our planet. But we now find three gaps. On mitigation, climate pledges or NDCs. Without more, we will leave the world on a pathway to 2.7 degrees. And with more, we are still likely to get to two degrees. These commitments made by some are based on technologies yet to be developed. And this is at best reckless and at worst dangerous. On finance, we are $20 billion short of the 100 billion. And this commitment, even then, might only be met in 2023. On adaptation, adaptation finance remains only at 25%. Not the 50-50 split that was promised nor needed given the warming that is already taking place on this earth. Climate finance to frontline small island developing states declined by 25% in 2019. Failure to provide the critical finance and that of loss and damage is measured, my friends, in lives and livelihoods in our communities. This is immoral and it is unjust. If Glasgow is to deliver on the promises of Paris, it must close these three gaps. So I ask to you, what must we say to our people living on the front line in the Caribbean, in Africa, in Latin America, in the Pacific, when both ambition and regrettably some of the needed faces at Glasgow are not present? What excuse should we give for the failure? In the words of that Caribbean icon, Eddie Grant, will they mourn us on the front line? When will we, as world leaders across the world, address the pressing issues that are truly causing our people angst and worry, whether it is climate or whether it is vaccines? Simply put, when will leaders lead? When indeed, and I mean, you're right, Tony, um, uh, Mia Motley, um, Prime Minister of Barbados, just called out so many people in that speech. And I guess if you didn't know the background to it, you could listen to the words and understand it as well. But yeah, she put a lot of people on notice. Absolutely. And, and, and those three areas, like to be sort of specific in that way and, and, to, and, to, and to say that you think you're going better or that you're making some sort of commitment, but actually you're going worse here and... You know, as a, as a country which I presume Barbados is going to be is, is in the Tuvalu category to some extent. You know that they're going to be massively affected. Um, yeah, it was. I, I found, and also that voice. You know, yeah, she just has power and she has presence. Um, it's, it's, it was a brilliant speech. I'm really grateful. I was sent, I was sent it by one of the dads at school. <laughs> it's, it's a ripper. Well, also, yeah. I mean, what's I mean, I, I agree. And she's just such an amazing connector. And I mean, Australia is one of these countries too that's going to be absolutely affected by by climate change. But yeah, we're not getting that passion from our leaders yet. I always like to put the yet there. 
Absolutely. I think there was a Greta speech this year. I can't remember if it was 2021, but she, she always has a good one and, and has those themes as well. But I think in some respects it was great to have someone give a Greta-level speech that isn't Greta, you know, who yeah. has a polarising effect across some areas of the political spectrum. Now, it was great to have a Prime Minister with the courage to hit it that hard and to, and to be that clear. Yeah, incredible speaker, uh, Mia Motley. And um, the, the winner of the most historic category, someone who from memory, Tony, took out an award last year, maybe correct me if I'm wrong, but um, who, who's taken that out this year? Yeah, so he's, he's not famous for being a great speaker, but our, uh, you know, the, the President of the United States, Joe Biden, uh, was inaugurated this year and we gave him an award last year mm. for his speech on election night. Um, which or it might have even been a few days after election when he claimed the the presidency. Um, that was that was a, a great speech and possibly a better speech than this one. But the inauguration speech I think will go down in the in the in a, in the top handful of inauguration speeches in American history. It won't be in the you know in the on the podium with um, you know a couple of Lincolns and one for JFK's is pretty great and you know there'll be and Franklin Roosevelt's is my personal favourite. Um, nothing to fear but but fear itself. But I thought that this speech was really really beautifully written and that the tone of it was was well pitched. It was very much a we need to we need to to close the divide, you know. And I guess the the phrase he used, and it's a great phrase, is we must end this uncivil war. Um, and to be delivering it to two weeks after the Capitol riots, that there are security people out there. There's no crowds at all, or very small crowds. There's just banks of American flags. You know, this is spooky and sad times. And I think it was reflected in the tone of the speech. It was a very down speech. Um, but but he managed to pitch it up. He has to then turn it around to be, we can do this. Mm. But but certainly, he I thought he met the gravity of the moment with a really grave and beautifully written speech. And today, we mark the swearing in of the first woman in American history elected to national office, Vice President Kamala Harris. Don't tell me things can't change. Here we stand, across the Potomac from Arlington Cemetery, where heroes who gave the last full measure of devotion rest in eternal peace. And here we stand, just days after a riotous mob thought they could use violence to silence the will of the people, to stop the work of our democracy, to drive us from this sacred ground. It did not happen. It will never happen. Not today, not tomorrow, not ever. Not ever. And not the bit there that has the uncivil war, but it, it really was a moment. There's a couple of moments in that part of the speech um, that, that makes it memorable. Uh, and they do. I said before that they have that knack of a little bit more poetry than us. They, they, their population puts up with it. And they, in fact, they expect it, that you go in and you draw on the past and you fill up the chest and, and it's, you know, you get a little bit of the tears going and, and they, they aim for it and they often deliver it. And I thought they, that he did a really good job. I mean, 
Um, they often refer to the past and, and the moments in history that are being mirrored. And I, I like that he did this one. He said, to overcome these challenges, to restore the soul and secure the future of America requires so much more than words. It requires the most elusive of all things in a democracy, unity. Unity in another January on New Year's Day in 1863, Abraham Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation. When he put the pen to paper, the president said, and I quote, if my name ever goes down into history, it'll be for this act, and my whole soul is in it. My whole soul is in it. Today on this January day, my whole soul is in this, bringing America together, uniting our people, uniting our nation, and I ask every American to join me in this cause. I mean, it's, it's great writing. You know, I wonder if we had a direct elected head of state, whether we might get a few more moments like that one, because we just don't, I mean, like when you win an election at two in the morning, if it's a close count in Australia, that's you do it to the party room faithful and that's about it, isn't it? That's right. Well, no one, no one, yeah, no one aims for this sort of stuff. Keating used to a little bit, I guess, with set piece speeches and he still does good ones, but it's it's not really the... The, the default setting for Australians. And I was trying to think, who's done the great speech of the pandemic? And we're going to get to our speech of the year in the pandemic. But this is the John Curtin, um, we are fighting mad, you know, when, when he's calling on the Americans to help. You know, that there are speeches that exist in the past where people aim to reflect the moment, you know, to say we have, and I guess we haven't had death on the levels of, of some countries, but there was there's the opportunity to do that mourn speech. Yeah, um, we now have 1,300 Australians who have lost their lives. You know, I, I was you know, I just I was almost going to deliver it myself. You know, like into the, <laughs> pretend I was prime minister. Yeah, no one, no one is so no one's writing it. No one's attempting to reflect the moment in history. We reflect it by lockdown to lockdown. Blah 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 blah. Fight fight fight. No one says. Here we are, we've done this thing, we've done it together, we've been divided at times, we've been united at times, but we've actually had only 1,300 people die compared to the 14, 15, 20 million worldwide. We've done something, we've achieved something. You've got that speech written, ready to go, Tony. Well, I'm ready to write it. Deliver it it to the PM. (laughs) I think, let's say that Anthony Albanese is the one that needs to deliver it because... Mm. uh, I don't think Scott's going to do it. But anyway, that's, yeah. I, I think there's a, a lack of that speech at this time. But that speech would really hit us if it was beautiful. Well, it would feature in next year's Speak Ollies, that's for sure. We're in the midst of awarding the Speak Ollies for 2021. Tony Wilson's with us, um, the person behind the Speak Ola website where you can find all sorts of different speeches um, delivered you know, over, over many years. We're just celebrating ones delivered this year. Um, we've already delivered sports speech, issue speech um, and most historic and best young speaker. Have we had this one before? I, I'm not I sure. This might be a new a, category or maybe... maybe. Uh, I don't know. I, what, did, I'm not going to spoil the magic for the listeners at home but it's not impossible that the categories <laughs> shift to whoever I've got a good That's okay, for. you know. <laughs> <laughs> if someone's done a great so, speech, you've got to create a category for them, right? It's, it's yeah. an indication of a great speech. That's right. Mm. So I think we did have Best Young Speaker. It might have been Greta one year or yeah. something. But um, the, I, the, what about when the Parkmore speeches were going down? Oh. I'm sure, I'm sure yeah. we gave a Best Young Speaker. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. we might have. To yeah. Emma Gonzalez. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah, we did. Definitely we did. got yeah. one, yeah. Yeah, but um, best young speaker, Amanda Gorman is the winner, and she was 
on the same podium as Joe Biden, President Biden, and I thought, you know, in some respects, she maybe outshone him. I mean, the story after the the inauguration was was as much Amanda Gorman as it was Joe Biden, and, and I think that's because she stood there. And she was so young, and she'd written this poem that was really quite beautiful. She delivered it with, with um, you know, with, with there was a sense of elevation to the moment. And I guess when I was saying that it was a grave occasion, you know, with security in, in, encircling the city and 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 flags waving, I think that if if there was a need to be uplifted, if there was a sense that people wanted hope and they wanted kind of a sense of positivity. Um, Amanda Gorman standing there and just being so young and and talented um, yeah. was just was just outstanding. Yeah. So I think you've got a bit of that. Let's one, hear part you, of it. Yeah, we just hear the beginning. Mr. President, Dr. Biden, Madam Vice President, Mr. Emhoff, Americans and the world. When day comes, we ask ourselves, where can we find light in this never-ending shade? The loss we carry, a sea we must wade. We've braved the belly of the beast. We've learned that quiet isn't always peace. And the norms and notions of what just is, isn't always just is. And yet the dawn is ours before we knew it. Somehow we do it. Somehow we've weathered and witnessed a nation that isn't broken, but simply unfinished. We, the successors of a country and a time where a skinny black girl descended from slaves and raised by a single mother can dream of becoming president only to find herself reciting for one. And yes, we are far from polished, far from pristine, but that doesn't mean we are striving to form a union that is perfect. We are striving to forge our union with purpose, to compose a country committed to all cultures, colors, characters, and conditions of man. And so we lift our gaze not to what stands between us, but what stands before us. We close the divide because we know... And um, you yeah. also... Yeah, incredible delivery as well as an incredible poem. Yeah, she's a great writer, isn't she? And, um, you know, she finished it off with the new dawn blooms as we free it, for there is always light. If only we're brave enough to see it. If only we're brave enough to be it. Uh, yeah, she's fantastic, and and yeah, that that, that was one where you just um, in, in a in a ceremony that that needed something like that, she provided it, and and yeah, she's the, I think she's the young poet laureate, is she? Yeah, and and, and inaugural, I think, and I think um, does that that does that segue beautifully then into the arts speech of the year? Seems we're sort of poet, and then we can <laughs> it does, and I wonder. We've had some pretty sort of heavy ones, I guess, um, when you're talking about child sex abuse and riots in the capital and and um, climate change and and so this one's just lighthearted. It was um, the 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 story out of the Oscars was the winner of the best supporting actress award, and I thought. I thought it was the best speech at the Oscars, or certainly it was the most relaxed and funny and newsworthy. And that was um, 
Ye Yun Yoon, um, she gave a speech that uh, was just, she started off, I think, flirting with Brad Pitt, was uh-huh. the first thing she said. <laughs> well, where were you in Tunisia? You know, it was the sort of way that you can only get away with when you're 25 years older than the person you're talking to, and a woman. <laughs> well, you know, I, I'm exactly, and I was uh, sort of trying my best to try and pick, you know, bits of these speeches that did justice to the speeches, because not easy, is it, to just play segments of a speech because but they, they're big, you know, some, some of the speeches that we're looking at are 20 minutes long or whatever, well, but this one was just, I mean, we could have played the whole thing, I guess, but gee, she's, um, yeah. It, it, charismatic. Is the yeah, charismatic, that is exactly the word I was looking for, yeah. um, fun times. She's really charismatic. And uh, here she is. I'm hoping I've got the right part of this one, Kalia. Let's um, let's go to Rip and see. But I'm here. It's just I have just a little bit luck. I think maybe I'm luckier than you. <laughs> and also maybe it's a American hospitality for the Korean actor. I'm not sure. But anyway, thank you so much. And uh, I like to thank to my two boys. Uh, who made me go out and work. So, <laughs> beloved son, all and all. It, this is the result, because mommy worked so hard. <laughs> and I'd like to dedicate this award for my first director, King Gyeong, who was very genius director. That, I made a movie together with him, first movie. I think he would be very happy if he's still alive. Thank you very much. Tremendous thank you for the everybody. Anyway, a little flavour of it there. It obviously goes um, goes for much longer, but uh, yeah. yeah, a bit of lightness and, and, and a lot of fun, more fun than, than some of the Academy Awards speeches. Yeah, so she was, was just probably confident enough to wing it. It's interesting, I've, I've just done a podcast, I, I do a podcast every uh, three or two or three weeks with a different speaker and I just did Adam, Adam Elliott mm. and the focus of this week's podcast is the his Academy Award speech from 2004 and he tells the whole story of how, you know, you, you're just not really ready for that blast of a billion people, you know, that you, even if you're nominated, you're still not ready for the speech because the shock of winning is so big, you know, and so... And so for her to be so relaxed and joking and, you know, it's a real skill. You, she must have huge self-confidence <laughs> and, uh, and to do it in a second language. And, and part of the charm, I guess, you know, that people, people you know, do respond to that idea that the words aren't exactly what a native speaker would say. And, and so, so it's, it becomes, uh, is the word cute? I'm not sure. Well, you can play it to your favour too. And I think that's what I, I really loved about that. It's like, I mean... She was saying, you know, she doesn't really like the competition, right? Like they're they're artists, they're actors. Yeah. Um, you know, so where you know she felt lucky, and then it's like, well, I'm luckier than you. <laughs> that's like, that just that really did make me laugh a lot yeah. uh, when yeah, I heard but... that because well, how else? It's just such a perfect way of putting it. It's luckier because there's just so much talent, isn't there? Um, it, it, yeah, she was great, and. Um... I haven't seen the film actually, but I'd, I'd like to see her perform. And and, and, and I think also that the foreign nature, the foreign language nature of it, undersells the force of personality. Mm. Like she would be, she would be formidable, you know. And so she's anything but sort of quaint and cute. Some of the words sounded like that, but the the confidence is formidable. Yeah, you know, she's and the word charismatic you know she just stands tall and commands yeah she she was great and um onto the next category overseas political speech of the year 
So this one's one where, you know, I never, I try not to be too swayed by my own politics. And I'm sure people who have hated me since 2002 when I introduced <laughs> pure bias into reading the news on Triple R would go, yeah, I'm sure you're really even-handed. But um, the... There is this one isn't my political view. I, I was in favour of an Afghan withdrawal, but there's the speech that was given by an ex-soldier in the UK Parliament by a guy by the name of Tom Tuganat, I think is how you say it, or Tom Tuganat. Tuganat, yeah, yeah. So Tom Tuganat, he served in Afghanistan and could stand up in the House and deliver a speech which was so emotional, like his. His, his disappointment and sadness that the UK and NATO were withdrawing from Afghanistan and the state of that withdrawal and and what it, and, and this sort of rhetoric of avoiding for, forever wars as he calls them um, he, he sees it as an abandonment and and a loss and a defeat and I just thought his ability to articulate it whilst doing the Andrew gaze you know like he's filled up with emotion. Mm. Um, I found this a really powerful speech. I thought it was the best speech I saw by an overseas politician this year. Because we know that patience wins. We know it because we have achieved it. We know it because we have delivered it. The Cold War was won with patience. Cyprus is at peace with patience. South Korea, with more than ten times the number of troops that, that America had, in Afghanistan is prosperous through patience. So let's stop talking about forever wars. Let's recognise that forever peace is bought, not cheaply, but hard, through determination and the will to endure. And that the tragedy of Afghanistan is that we're swapping that patient achievement for a second fire and a second war. Gee, it's, it's heavy stuff, isn't it? But you can, oh. as you say, you can hear the, the emotion in his voice and honesty, I suppose, which, you know, you, you often don't hear from politicians. Um, but, you know, you can tell that he means, means what he's saying. And then it's actually it's beautiful, mm. like the way the, the way that he picks up the forever war and, yeah. and forever, and he, and he spins that into a forever piece. Um, it, it's just a, a great piece of writing on top of everything else, and that pace of delivery, that pace of delivery, which um, you know, it's always so tempting to gallop through your words. I'm nervous, and and, and he's clearly an experienced speaker. He's an MP, but you know, it's just that commanding of, of, of English and the moment. It's amazing. And someone who has emotion but different emotion in their delivery is the winner of the Australian Political Speech of the Year. Yeah. <laughs> Did she win it last year? I, I think she might through. have. She Yeah, she won an award for a speech about universities, I think. Yeah, and, yeah. and I've, been, I've been contacting this person to try to get her on the Speak Ola podcast for much of this year mm. and I'm I'm just falling short but she's a, a polarizing figure and certainly in her early political career she was the sort of figure that received short shrift on Triple R I think there was a sense that 
that she was maybe bigoted or that she was anti-Islam. Yeah, well, she and, said and, some, and, some pretty bad things in the past, didn't she, some years ago? And, and, and I think some people really struggle with her, um, with, the, with what she said about um, LGBTQI as well. Um, was she anti-gay marriage? I can't remember. But certainly in the last couple of years, she's emerged as, to, to have this talent, she's able to, um, it's Jackie Lambie is who, I'm t- who we're talking about, and she wins our Australian Political Speech of the Year for this year. In, in the speech that she gave to oppose the vaccine, what was it called, the anti-vaccine mandate bill. So Pauline Hanson, that great um, fighter for the underdog, she decided that, um, that, she would, that, that she would try to introduce legislation which said that, it, that to have vaccine mandates is discriminating against people who don't take the vaccine and that that's discrimination and therefore it should be illegal. Um, and this, this speech was given in response by Jackie Lambie. So, honestly, one nation to pretend to be on the side of the people, but they are happy to tell fibs to their own voters if it means they can make a quick buck or two. Take an example. Senator Hanson went on Sky News and said, said that the TGA had published data saying a whole bunch of people had died from COVID-19 vaccine. And the journalist pulled her up straight away and told her that's wrong. The journalist called her out for misleading Sky's viewers. And you know what happened? Senator Hanson backed down. She admitted she had the facts wrong, that she'd have to look at it again. But the next day, the very next day, she went right back to saying the same crap anyway, like nothing had happened. Like, that's acceptable behaviour in this country. That's leadership, is it, Senator Hanson? My goodness. I've got things wrong in the past. I accept that and I'll admit it and I'll fix it and I'll move it on. That's how it works. If you get it wrong, then say you got it wrong and stand by, stand by that. What sort of person accepts they're wrong but just keeps saying the wrong thing anyway? What sort of person does that? Let's be clear. I don't want people being forced to get vaccinated. I don't think we should ever do that. But I think there's a world of difference between opposing that and supporting this damn bill. This bill says the freedom of unvaccinated is more important than the freedom of the vaccinated. Really? This damn bill. Is she the only one to ever say that on Mansard? It's just like damn before a bill. But the bit, this is the paragraph that I just thought was... I mean, it just articulated what a lot of us are thinking. And, and there's, I know there are people on the other side and that you'll be swearing at your radios, but um, you can't call every consequence a choice. Of, you can't call every consequence of a choice a discrimination. If you get behind the wheel of a car and drive twice the speed limit, you might be comfortable taking that risk with your safety, but you'd be putting other people's lives at risk and you don't have the right to do that. And you will more than likely lose your licence. You are not being discriminated against. You choose to do something that puts other people's lives at risk and you will be accountable. You'll be held accountable for that choice. It's that simple. That's what we're talking about here. People who don't get the vaccine, I'm making a choice. You have a choice. You all, we all have choices to make. We've all got a choice. You're making a choice that means you're more likely to get COVID and you're more likely to spread it to somebody else. And that is your choice. It is your right. I want to make that clear. And then we go to that point bit where where we picked her up. But she, she talks about the difference between choices and discrimination. And I yeah. thought it was done really well. And we heard, I mean, we heard the ACTU and others pointing that out with regards to conditions of employment. Same thing. It's like it's the, the man, yeah, it's, it's um, the, the use of words is really 
important and the understanding of what they mean is really yeah. important. Which is, and, and, yeah. and her ability to channel her her emotions and I think, to me, I find it effective. I know some people find it unappealing, that it's too emotional, but I find that, that that's missing in politics, you know, that, that sense that people care. And, and so, you know, I, I, and I, I think that you listen as a result. I listen so, and I do feel sometimes like I'm a bit in trouble <laughs> when I hear her speak. I mean, I know it's not me, but, you know, um, I feel like I'm a little bit in trouble. I wouldn't trouble. want to be on a receiving end of the yeah, Jackie Lambie spray. Yeah, but that said, she's not. very articulate. <laughs> and I think, I mean, look, the year that we've had, actually the last two years, been massive and a lot of us are, are um, I don't know, uh, you know, the idea that we could be desensitised in any way of what we've been living through with regards to the pandemic, I think was kind of blown away by by the, the last category, the last speech, which I don't know, is it our, a pandemic speech? I'm not sure if that's a category, but, you know, a, um, uh, a, a speech from the ground or something? Do we call this? What is this category? Well, it is. It's a frontline speech, front I guess, line from, speech. From, from, mm. the, from the pandemic. And I was trying to think, I mean, did, did Dan Andrews have a pandemic speech that really spoke to everyone or was a classic speech? I, there were some of the lockdown speeches were okay when he was putting us in, um, you know, because he's got to justify it and talk about the big picture. And but I think you said to me, Kalia, there's sometimes a sense of it being very political and and, and also information purpose. sharing rather than yeah. a speech per se, like that. You know, the idea that someone would deliver a great speech about the numbers or whatever. It, it or about the of, latest lockdown restrictions. Yeah, I sense that. But but this was different, this this pandemic, this frontline speech. Yeah, so this woman was at a press conference and she was the head of nursing at the Western Hospital, I think, in Victoria. And she basically just sat there and she was one of the first, this is when vaccination was rolling out early on. And she was trying to get momentum up for it. Not, not that she had to fight hard. We were, most of us were, were going pretty willingly. But it was that sense of what the wards are like, you know. And I, I still think that's missing, you know, mm. that, 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 you know, if you ever just to see people in the masks and gasping. And, and she gave us a bit of that, I guess. And so, you know, this was the one that, that, that really got to me. And so Kylie Fisher, head of nursing, Western Hospital um, pandemic speech of the year. Hospitals. So I'm privileged to be able to work with a group of nurses called the Critical Care Outreach Team, the ICU liaison nurses at Western Health. And last year, they helped prevent hundreds of admissions to our intensive care units by acting as a extension of the ICUs. And they helped support our ward nurses to support our patients and our communities. Now, they would often come to me overwhelmed, sometimes in tears. They were worried. They would come to work worried. They were worried about their colleagues. They were worried about how they would support their colleagues on the wards, uh, looking after overwhelming numbers of acutely unwell patients, patients that we usually don't see admitted to the wards. They were worried about their families. They would go home after 12-hour shifts, long shifts. They would have showers before they would leave work. They'd drive home, get out of their cars, get changed out of their scrubs in their garages, have a shower again before they would go in and speak or hug their families and their loved ones. Now, I saw tears. I saw exhaustion. I saw nurses consoling nurses. I saw 
um, blood across the ridges of their noses and their ears from wearing PPE for 12 hours at a time, long shifts on their feet, kilometres and kilometres of, of, of Ks they'd, they'd clock up um, responding to emergency calls and calls for assistance on the wards. What, what we don't understand is the they, they'd come to me and they'd say, Kylie, it's like nothing we've ever seen before. These patients are young, they're fit, and then the next minute they're, they're well, and then the next minute we're taking them to ICU. Now, you ask me what I'm worried about as their manager. I'm worried I'm going to have to ask them to stand up and do it again. And they will. Now, these are seen... And what, what strikes me about that one is obviously it's delivered off the cuff, but it almost sounds as if it's written because it's expressed so eloquently and, you know, there's anecdotes there, there's raw emotion. It's an incredible... I mean, you know, I suppose is it even a speech given she's at a press conference and delivering this information, but it very much sounds like a speech. It's a, she is a natural, isn't she? Because mm. I, mean, I was going to say, look, listen to the repetition, listen to the rule of threes. Mm. She's got got so many tricks of great oratory that she's cranking out in a you know without any notes in front of her and seemingly off the top of her head. Um, and and as you say, the the key to a memorable speech and maybe you know every time that we actually do listen to a little snippet from Dan Andrews, it's a story. Stories actually make us listen. So. There were a couple of stories that she really skillfully interwove there. You know, the one, the one about the two showers and the, you know, them getting home and then having another shower. Mm. That, that's a that's a very specific detail that unless you're a health worker, you're not understanding. Um, but a great little detail to share about the delicacy of the situation and the stress of the of, of what these people are living under, and also their generosity and their and their courage. And then the, the, the bit about the blood, I guess, under the masks, you know, that they're doing such long shifts, the strain they're under. And she finishes off with, you know, the call to action, which is another great trick in, in speech making. And, you know, she says, get vaccinated. And, <laughs> and yep. that's a, it was a great get vaccinated speech. Mm. Well, Tony, we're, we've come to the end of the Speak Holies, which is lucky because we've got five minutes of our um, grapevine for the year left. <laughs> so we've perfectly timed <laughs> yeah. it. We're running to time. Um, everyone gets their Speak Holy in the mail. Is that sort of how it works? Or? That's right. It's still a, a very, very prestigious award, but you get your Speak Holy. Usually if you're listening to this show, you receive it over the airwaves. Uh -huh. Fantastic. Um, Materialises. Directly. Delivery. <laughs> but, um, well, hopefully you'll award them again on the website speakola.com if you want to go and chase any of those up or any speech actually i've used it delivering a speech got some inspiration from speakola it's a brilliant well, website thanks, well done and the good. podcast too and good luck getting jackie for maybe next year yeah good luck and, keep and, pushing uh, can i just quickly say um if anyone wants to support speakola i've got a patreon as well that'd be great if people find that and it. the link on the website speakola.com yeah. Thank you. Thanks. We'll Thanks, catch Tony. you again next year. Appreciate See it. See you guys. Bye. Bye. Well, that's it for the Speak Oldies special. Thank you, Kalia Coulson and Dylan Bird from The Grapevine. What a fine radio program you are. And it was a great fun event again this year. Wow. What an after party. The Vanity Fair Speak Oldies after party. One of the most sought after tickets in the whole world of public speaking. The Grapevine is a fine radio show, but there are too few of them. Fine radio shows, that is, and that's why so many of us have turned to podcasts. And the new economy of podcasts is they need listener support. I'm a backer of Sizzletown and Strong Songs and Slate Plus, three of my favourites. 
And if this is one of your favourites, you can support me at speakola.com forward slash donate or join the 40-odd patrons at patreon.com forward slash speakola. Thank you to everyone who's been a payer this year. And if you're not a payer, maybe consider it. But also, it's great having everyone on board. It'd be nice just to spread the word about Speakola and build this into something. I think it can be a great podcast. I think we can get amazing guests. I've been knocked back by Julia Gillard in the past for the misogyny speech. And not my misogyny speech. She gave one. She hasn't wanted to talk about it on the podcast yet. But the the goal is that we can get guests of that calibre. And I felt like this year there were signs that that can happen with people like Neil Kinnock and we've had Stan Grant and Andrew Denton and others. I think we can get amazing guests, including amazing international guests. And I look forward to the 2027 interview with Barack Obama. And when that happens, you can say, oh, I was patron number 47 and got Tony to the line. It's all because of me. So jump on board if you can. Spread the word if you can. I love doing the project and I'll be back in 2022. For now, me and the fam are off to Hobart and Tassie for a couple of weeks, which should be fun. Looking forward to that. And hope you have a great new year as well. Good break if you've got one scheduled and we'll uh, see you in 2022. All the best.